dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I am continuing the celebration of Merlot Me Month with Steve McIntyre of McIntyre Vineyards in Monterey County. We talk about the impact the Santa Lucia Mountains have on the vineyards and the impact climate has on the final Merlot product. We taste through a vertical, comparing the 2016 and 17 vintage, and they truly show how Mother Nature plays a role. So grab a glass of Merlot, get cozy, and give a listen. If you enjoy exploring the wine glass, I'd appreciate you giving me some love by taking two minutes out of your day to swipe, to rate, and review on whatever app you're listening on. It is the best way to support the show. Also, if you'd like to keep up on everything Exploring the Wine Glass, head on over to exploringthewineglass.com and sign up for the newsletter. Slancha! Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, the UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, Somday service, champagne and Cote d'Iron specialist, and a WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracita Wines. I am your host, Lori, and I am here with another Merlot Me episode. And, you know, those of you who listened to the first podcast, you know, I do love me my Merlot. And today we have Steve McIntyre from McIntyre Vineyards here to talk about Merlot and, you know, just what is so special about it. So hi, Steve. Hello. Hi. How are you doing, Laurie? I am good. I am good. good. So before we get into the whole Merlot me and all of that, I'm going to ask, my first question usually is always the origin story. So how did Mm -hmm. you come to wine? Or I really should say, I should ask it the other way, is how did wine find you? Well, my dad was doing some work down in Temecula uh, when they were first planting that area down in the 70s. And he was working with Vince Petrucci at Fresno State. and um, Go Bulldogs. yeah, and Christian Brothers, um, and and so at any rate, I was into like a lot of young adults partying and having a great time. And he said, you know, you like wine so much, you ought to go to school and become a winemaker. Well, I thought he was kidding. You know, I uh, had no idea what that was all about. Even though we were an ag uh, family, we grew avocados and citrus. But I ended up at Fresno State and got my master's in uh, enology and an undergraduate degree in viticulture, worked for Vince Petrucci for a while. And the rest is uh, history. I just fell in love with uh, wine. And when you first, so what was your first vintage of your own? Like you made your first wine that you were responsible for it. How nerve wracking was that? (laughs) It was 1982. And it was out in Keshawa. I was planting Galanti vineyards. That was my first job out of college. 
uh, before I went to Hong, Smith and & Hook. And so we were making, uh, that area out there is called Kashawa in Upper Carmel Valley. So we were making Kashawa shed wine <laughs> uh, prior to uh, producing um, Galanti Vineyards. And we got those grapes from Derny, which was uh, back in the day, a nice cab. Uh, Merlot Vineyard and um, made it out in the shed. Yeah, you're right. Nerve wracking is a good way to put it. So <laughs> we got, you get used to it, right? I mean, uh, whether it's uh, having children or, or what have you, anything that involves strong emotion, eventually you normalize those things and uh, you learn to live right. with everything. Right, right. Absolutely. Did you, yeah. did you like sleep with the wine? Like, I think back to like <laughs> our first vintage, it was like, you know, I'm still kind of a nervous wreck every vintage, but like, you know, that first vintage, it's like, you don't want to leave it because something could go wrong if you walk away. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's very true. And in fact, nowadays, you know, having been in the business long enough, I think of ourselves as glorified babysitters. In <laughs> fact, so if the, if, if you're a really good babysitter and you have a pool at the house and you turn your back, you, you almost have that sixth sense that the child's going to fall in and you turn around and, you know, and rescue them. And I think that's kind of the way winemaking gets at a certain point where you, you just kind of have that, that, you know, sixth sense that says, maybe I better intervene, you know, otherwise I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> right. And I think that like, as you pull it in, you know, as you pull it in from the vineyard itself, you kind of in your braid already have the process of, all right, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what could happen. So I'm going to pay right. attention to this and things like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Experience. And, yes. Yes. And so that first vintage, you were dealing with Merlot from back then. Yes, I was. I had some Merlot and Cabernet. So in, in fact, um, when I went out to Han Smith and Hook back in that day, that was 1983, uh, they were producing, you know, there wasn't any Pinot Noir around. Uh, it was all Cabernet, a little bit of Cab Franc and Merlot. And we struggled. Um, you know, the 80, the 79 vintage had some acclaim. The 81 vintage had some acclaim. But because of how cool it was and with our wind, the university hadn't factored in how much wind we got, which limited photosynthesis. And... It was, this, you know, some years we had vegetal issues, you know, we had those bell peppers. And so when things changed and Han became Pinot Noir centric and, and that whole San Lucia Highlands, you know, there isn't any Cabernet up there to speak of. Merlot became a chip on my shoulder that I wanted to be able to make Merlot consistently that didn't have that vegetal component and be able to show that, you know, it's possible in Monterey County. So that's how I kept up, uh, you know, my love for Merlot. So before, I have questions about that Monterey environment, um, you mm -hmm. know, and how that affects Merlot, because Merlot can be a little finicky. Yeah. <laughs> but so before we get into that, let's talk about actually Tell us about Monterey County itself. Like for people who, you know, there are people that are out of the country. There's people who are on the wrong coast. Um, where yeah. exactly is Monterey County? And then like, what is the climate like? What what soils do you typically see <clears throat> in Monterey County? Yeah, so Monterey County is 120 miles more or less south of uh, San Francisco. And it is um, best known for the aquarium and Carmel 
and the Monterey Bay Sanctuary, which truly is an amazing, you know, uh, ocean uh, area. And then inland of that, you have the Salinas Valley, which of course is well known as a salad bowl of, of the United States. And that's 250,000 irrigated acres of agriculture. So it's the beautiful thing is it's not a monoculture. The grapes are the fourth, um, uh, I think we were number four on the list of 25 or 30 crops last year in terms oh, wow. of value in acres, strawberries being number one. So unlike a lot of growing areas, we're very diverse, but we have a very strong um, agricultural infrastructure and we don't have a lot of urban interface. So there's not a lot of problems with that um, in terms of farming, but the, what we're really well known for or infamously known for is our wind. It starts at like clockwork between May and September at 1 p.m. every afternoon. And it blows, it's not one of these winds like I grew up with in Ventura where it blows from one to five and then sunset comes and it diminishes. It blows almost all night long. Wow. Yeah, and be, that has the most impact. I like to call it part of our terroir. And for me, terroir is everything you can't change. And that has the most impact on grapes far and wide throughout the entire valley until you get down to Paso Robles where you don't have any wind. So it shuts the vine down. It, it, it limits its photosynthetic activity uh, because the wind velocity is so strong. And so that gives us a longer hang time than most other growing regions. And as a result, um, you, sugar accumulation is slowed down. Uh, because the photosynthetic activity of the vine is, is diminished, but it gives time for all the other things that we're trying to download into the grape, you know, for structure and aromatics and flavor to accumulate. And so that's, that's why we end up with uh, uh, wines that are um, Pinot Noirs, and for, for reference, that are quite almost masculine. You know, we get accused of adding Syrah, but for... Bordeaux varietals, it's really a curse because you need that photosynthetic activity and to, to allow the pyrazines to diminish over time. Every Cabernet vineyard, Merlot vineyard has pyrazines at 19 bricks or 18 bricks, but they disappear in the warmer climates with warmer evenings and such and less of a maritime impact. And so that's why it was so difficult to, to grow the Bordeaux varietals as opposed to where we are now with Pinot Noir. The, um, the, now, the wind can be beneficial um, in terms, because Monterey, you guys get a lot of fog also, right? Right, exactly. So fog can be detrimental to grapes because now you're worrying about the, the mildew, the mold, that type of thing. But the wind actually then dries off the grapes that's right. To allow you to stay on longer. You're not worried about that aspect either. Yeah, we actually like to say if we get an inch of rain, we'll, uh, inch of rain, we'll get an inch of wind and dry things out. So <laughs> it does have that benefit. Yes. Right. And now um, what what soil do you look for in a vineyard that you're going to use for the McIntyre Merlot? I would look for a granitic-based soil, an alluvial soil um, that's washed out of the, the, the mountains uh, with some elevation uh, rather than being right down on the valley floor because the wind we have here is a, what I like to call a ground effect wind. So 
the narrower the Salinas Valley and the lower the elevation, right down there at the river level, the stronger the wind. As you get up on the sides of the valley, the wind diminishes. In fact, if you're up at Shalom, which is right across from, from Han, uh, there's no wind to speak of. Or it could be the opposite direction. In fact, you'll find out an aircraft taking off from Salinas. It can be blowing 20 knots on the ground, but you get up at 15, 1800 feet of altitude and it's gone. Getting up on those side benches with the granitic soils of fairly low fertility so you don't get an excess amount of vigor is really where you, you want to be. And that actually, my, my next question, Merlot, in terms of vigor, how difficulty... So uh, people who are listening, when a uh, vine, you need it to be in balance between its green, which is its vegetative state, and its reproductive state, which is the berries. Um, so in terms of this vigor, how difficult is it to keep a Merlot vine in balance? Does it like to go green? Yeah, it does. Um, in fact, one of the problems with Merlot is its prostrate nature. It wants to fall out of trellis systems as opposed to Cabernet or Cafron which is very uh, upright and prostrate. The, um, so you really gotta do a lot of canopy management to keep it in a VSP. Uh, it tends to be, uh, that was part of the problem with producing Bordeaux varietals back in the eighties, we were overwatering them. So a lot of wineries came in and allowed us as growers to almost dry land farm in a very, as you know, we don't, you're in pastoralists, we don't get a lot of rain. And that was one extreme. And so that's too far. So then we graduated, I guess you could say, to where we only irrigate when it gets hot. And so if it's over 95 or something and we're watching our, our moisture, soil moisture levels really closely, we'll give them some, some water. But so allow about, you know, three weeks before veration, we want those roots to be dry enough that they start to signal uh, hormonally the uh, leaves to, uh, hey, wait a minute, we're running out of water here. The shoot tips slow down and stop growing and the vine starts to concentrate on its progeny, the seeds, the, the fruit, uh, rather than leaf uh, and uh, shoot growth. Well, that, so you're thinking three, you're three weeks ahead of verasion you're, you're like praying no rain, you're praying. Right. We want to shut those vines down and make them think they're under stress so that they concentrate on what's important to us. There's so much science to it that yeah. I, I mean, it's my happy place. So I love it, but it's always, it's, I love, that's a new tidbit to me for Merlot. Like that's, that's sure. a new tidbit for me to, yeah. you know, um, that's fantastic. Um, now you, McIntyre actually farms like 12,000 acres in the Santa Lucia Highlands, Arroyo Seco, San Bernabe, and Hames Valley. Yeah, I and also, never actually got in Paso as well. Oh, okay. So let, we'll, we'll save Paso for a second. We'll, <laughs> we'll keep them by themselves and we'll talk to that. Yeah. So, but so how, how far apart are these regions? Is it easy? You know, like, are you going from one region to the next? Easy, you know, easily, or are they quite a distance away from each other? Um, there's a quite a distance between uh, Hames Valley on the southern end and the San Lucia Highlands on the northern end. There's about 50 miles. Okay. So, but everything else is in between. 
So it, it, it works out pretty well. We put a lot of miles on our trucks and uh, we try and go downwind as much as possible. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's spread out quite a ways. And do you have Merlot in each of those regions? No. Um, okay. The San Lucia Highlands Merlot is too cool and there's too much wind. Where we're growing in, it, in uh, the, for this particular bottle that you'll be tasting is Arroyo Seco. And we're up against the hill, less wind. We're around the bend, so to speak, that where the Arroyo Seco River enters the Salinas Valley. And because of that, we get some heat coming down that river channel. So this vineyard, Kimberly Vineyard, named after my wife, it was a, you know, anniversary gift that uh, didn't cost anything. <laughs> and, uh, um, that heat comes through there, a little less wind, and you're able to get Merlot ripe in that northern uh, most boundary. And are the, what, what direction are, are they facing north also? Are the vines uh, the, the slope north? faces north. Yes, it does. Okay. Right. And because that, that's going to help with the environment that the Merlot likes to yeah. right, keep, right. keep it a little bit cooler. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now let's go to Paso. Where uh -huh. are you in Paso? Well, Paso Rolos, we're out in Shannon. We're also on, uh, uh, remember the old Arciero property? Arciero. I did. I yeah, did a little on bit Highway more. 46, uh, the winery, it's now, I forget what they call it now, but we're Dry Creek Vineyard is right there. That's the one we we farm. We're also in Creston at Windfall. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So that those are the three vineyards we farm in Paso. And what are you growing there? Oh, you know, all the Bordeaux varietals plus Petite Syrahs, some Primitivo, uh, Grenache okay. Noir, Grenache Blanc. Um, and I think, yeah, that's about, oh, Movedra, yeah. Oh, of course. Okay, Movedra. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So back to Merlot, back to Merlot. Uh -huh. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I, I, my husband says I'm like, I'm like the, the, one of my favorite movies is Up. And uh -huh. the dog that's like squirrel, you know, and he goes running <laughs> off. My, my husband thinks that's me all the time. And it oh, probably, well. it, it probably is true. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Sidebar very easily. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so we are here to celebrate Merlot me. And so what do you think Merlot me is really about? Like, what is the heart soul of Merlot me? You know, I think that, for me, uh, Merlot is more, I like to think of it as something um, different than Cabernet. You know, I think a lot of people produce Merlots that are almost indistinguishable from Cabernet. But, you know, cooler climate like Seco, um, we're getting some components that are much more fruit forward. I, one of my inspirations early on with Merlot was Swanson and Trichard, you know, in the Caneros area up north. Again, cooler climate sites for Bordeaux varietals. And you really have to be careful. You don't overcrop them, overwater, you know, to keep them from going vegetal on you. But uh, I think the reward can be quite um, significant. And then, you know, a standalone Mer Merlot which you don't see very many of it any you know any longer at least in this country um that that cedar uh cassis type of fruit component that that's kind of what i'm looking for uh in, and we are uh minimalists by nature in our winemaking so 
we're not leaving the Merlot uh, in oak as long as maybe some others. We're, um, we're treating it, you know, with a, 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 a macerated fermentation, uh, some punch downs up front, a cold soak, you know, so we're treating it almost like Pinot Noir. And um, so we're getting a little, uh, we're a different style than maybe you might see, you know, like I said, if you're making Cabernet or something. I think, well, I, well, first of all, thank you, because that was a perfect segue to allow me to take a sip. Um, <laughs> so what I have in my glass is the 2016 McIntyre Kimberly Vineyard, and mm -hmm. it is 100% Merlot. It is, yeah. From Arroyo Seco. And mm -hmm. the first thing that pops out to me is cedar. Like, I get a beautiful cedar, and... um it's it's like when you you open up like an old if anybody still has them because my mom does like the hope chest right open it it's all cedar it it's a happy place for me yeah you know, cedar and then it is darker fruit mm -hmm. and uh, you know so darker fruit and now that if you can explain that a little bit as to why you're getting the darker fruit versus the red fruit that some other merlots may mm -hmm. may show what's causing that. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> that is just extremely long, and I, I don't like the word hang time, but because of our, our um, climate, the length of time that that grape is, is out there from veraison, well, from bloom on to harvest. So you get, you accumulate a lot of um, structure that from phenolic and tannin standpoint, provide that uh, juicy tannin type of, of fruit that tends to be darker than the red bright fruit that you would get with a little less tannin structure. So that's kind of how I would portray it. The, um, the acid backbone is beautiful. Thank you. Right, right on the tip of the tongue. It, it's, it's beautiful. Um, and then the flavors, it's like, um, a nice dark plum mm -hmm. and it actually has, um, a little bit of chocolate, chocolateness mm. to it. Mm -hmm. That is nice. Um, yeah. A little um, on the palate, on the finish, there's a, a I'm always bad with my spices. Oh. Uh, I'm bad with my spices, but like um, a little bit of a brown, mm -hmm. you know, a little, a little spice that gives it an additional, like when you think it's over, mm -hmm. <laughs> when you think it's over, you get this additional, additional, yeah. you know, like a, a, it's not cinnamon. I, I don't know. I want to say sure. cardamom, but I'm not really sure what cardamom tastes like. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't either. <laughs> but it's in it's in that that kind of family thing. But it's yeah. it's beautiful. The plum and the the um dark the the dark fruit with with just the hit, hint of spice and everything. And it's it's beautiful. So thank right. you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Sorry, thank you. And now what, um, so let's talk about the two, uh, 2016 vintage. Right. Um, I, and this is, I, I hate when people ask this, but I'm going to ask it easy vintage, difficult vintage. As I recall, um, because 17 was the last, um, time we, well, we had 116 degrees in the vineyard for two days on Labor Day, 2017. Oh. which was otherwise almost a perfect vintage, you know, weather-wise. And the vines turned out actually quite well. So that vintage 
from my memory standpoint is so significant because I was freaking out at those temperatures Mm -hmm. that 16 must have been easier, you know, but as I recall, 16 wasn't quite as consistent, Um, a little cooler uh, in the spring. um, So not quite as outstanding of a weather year. Um, So we had more hens and chicks and um, uh, in the, in the clusters. Um, So, and I did send you the 17 too. You, you might yes. try. The reason we sent two vintages is because of, of the different. Um, one was cooler, 16 was cooler, 17 was warmer. Oh, okay. Um, I can open it. I have no problem opening a second bottle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so now let, let's go back to, to the winds that you have in your area because yeah. Merlot has a somewhat long flowering period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the winds can be really, really, you, you mentioned the hens and chicks or <coughs> jacks or shatter, right. you know, right. um, uh, it, does the wind, are you a nerve rack? You know, are you nervous during that time when they're flowering? If this wind is coming in so consistently? Yeah, very much so. I mean, the fact that we know it's coming, you, you have to anticipate that there's, there's going to be fog with it. Generally speaking, the windier a day might be, the more fog you're going to have because you have an onshore flow. Okay. So when we have a high pressure come through and we have nice weather, the wind is maybe only 10, 12 knots as opposed to 20 knots. So when it starts to get 20 knots and you have a lot of fog coming in, then your average daytime temperatures might only be 68 or 70. And that really has a negative impact on on uh, berry set in Merlot, no doubt about it. Um, so those years with the cool springs, you know, we know we're going to have a diminished amount of crop. Uh, we know we're going to have the shot berries and we just have to, to, to live with that. Um, and, but the good news is in this case, we're not concerned about yield. In fact, we're not going to have to thin as much as we might otherwise have to thin if they set, if all the berries set and we have a very tight cluster. So, you know, we we kind of freak out. We don't, you know, we're not gonna get as good a set and we're gonna have all of these shot berries. Um, But on the other hand, we know we won't have to thin it and the crop size will be adequate. Do you ever whole cluster Merlot? Well, that's part, not necessarily whole cluster, but that cold soak. Um, there's, there's probably whole clusters in there. Um, uh, cause we really are just destemming, you know, so, um, the, the smaller clusters might get through, so there could be some, but the cold soak, I think is something that we really like, um, the impacts of that on, on this particular vineyard, at least. And, um, for, can you just explain cold, um, cold soak, oh, cold soak? for people who might Sure. Know? For about four or five days. We're letting the grapes, after we destem them, we're letting them sit there in whatever juice they might have. Merlot doesn't juice very much. So it's tricky because you don't want to get a lot of volatile acidity going, you know, with acetobacter or lactobacillus bacteria. So you have to be really careful about adding a lot of dry ice and punch very lightly punching the cap down or the grapes down to keep them wet with juice and keep that dry ice 
on top of the bin or the tank, the small tanks, because these are made in about a ton and a half um, uh, fermenters or up to three ton fermenters, keeping that CO2 on blanket on top of those grapes and keeping them in that 55 to 56 degree uh, temperature range Fahrenheit uh, so that you don't get VA building up. And then you start, you pitch some yeast. If you, in, in our case, we generally don't pitch yeast. We just let them warm up and the natural um, yeast start to take over. And if they don't, we might pitch some yeast. But oh, okay. generally speaking, we have a pretty hearty and healthy um, fermentation going at like day six or seven. Oh, okay. So that's awesome. And um, I, I'm seeing more of that. Um, makes me nervous. We're, we're, we're not big enough. Like if we lose a barrel, if, you know, like that's a big, yeah. you know, um, that's a little nerve wracking, but I love the idea where you're allowing the, the healthy yeast that are on there to right. just go. Now, do you think that they are, um, native yeast are as efficient or, no. or no, okay. they're, they're generally not. And a lot of the research bears that out, you know, but because they're not before Cervasia comes in and takes over, um, you get more complexity by having a slower start to that fermentation. And, you know, the yeast can clean up a lot of things that, that happened prior to fermentation. Um, so I really like the, the um, uh, wild yeast, um, just let them go and, and uh, uh, let Cervasia finish and take, take over. Do you think that that leads to a lower um, overall alcohol too? Are you shooting for lower alcohol or? We'd like to be able to control that, but we really haven't figured that out. Um, you know, certainly there are yeast strains that would, um, would produce less alcohol, but nothing that really excites me. So we just kind of let alcohol happen. Unfortunately, <laughs> we try, we, we have, I've seen the pendulum shift in all the grapes we grow from you know, 26 bricks back down to 24. And I, I think we're, we're seeing wines age better as a result of a little lower alcohol and picking them at a, at a more moderate bricks level. Of course, we're not all about bricks, but at least that's one indicator you can utilize. And earlier you were talking about um, the pyrazines in the Merlot and, you know, Cab Franc, Cab Sauve, that, that whole family, because it is right. the same family, right. um, is pyrazine, you know, it's in there. Um, and you had said that at 19, it has the pyrazines. At what, what time do you start to see those pyrazines generally breaking down? And now a word from our sponsor. Exploring the Wine Glass is brought to you by Dracaena Wines. Dracaena Wines is an artisan winery located in Paso Robles, California. They have been producing wine since 2013. Their first vintage began with one wine, their classic Cabernet Franc, which received a 91 in Wine Enthusiast. Since then, they have increased production as well as expanded their portfolio, have received many accolades, including multiple double gold medals and consistent 90-plus ratings. Visit their website, www.dracinawines.com, or use the link in the show notes to schedule a private tasting and to see their entire portfolio. Purchase your award-winning wine and let Dracina Wines help turn your moments into great memories. 
They, um, if you look at the literature, they're fairly high concentration, uh, right at variation. So like 14 bricks, you know, and they have a very steady decline and then they tail off below the threshold at which most humans can taste them. And that tends to coincide with the seeds um, turning brown. Brown. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, All right. So your, your vineyard is kind of right. You had mentioned that it's right along the Santa Lucia mountains, like in that, in that Northern thing. So, you know, we talk about, you said that you believe terroir is the things that you can't change. Well, we definitely can't change the Santa Lucia mountains. Um, So what, what impact do you, does that mountain range play on your Merlot? They're huge. That would be the second most uh, significant impact. Uh, and primarily because the Big Sur coast, we're only as the crow flies, you know, maybe 10 miles from the ocean, but boy, that's a rough 10 miles with mountains. So in Big Sur, you have the highest um, topographical uh, altitude change in the shortest distance of anywhere other than Patagonia and Alaska. In other words, you know, you'd be on the beach at the ocean, you look up and there's some pretty close to you are some 5,000 foot mountains. As a result of that, all our storms here come in um, counterclockwise and they hit that and you have that onographic lift. And as a result of that lift, those clouds are now saturated as they rise in altitude and all the rain falls in Big Sur, they get 50 inches of rain on average. By the time it gets over to the to the end of the mountains where our vineyards sit along the San Lucia Highlands and the Rio Seco, they're pretty much rained out. So we don't get rain. Generally speaking, in the 36 years I've been doing this, we might get a half an inch of rain at harvest. That's it. You know, and maybe one storm. Uh, and so we don't have like Oregon where, you know, or Washington where it's raining once a week. And so we have more control over our irrigation regimes than you do in Europe where they're relying on, you know, rainfall once every couple of weeks or once a month or not at all, or Washington and Oregon. And, and so that control, it's even more than the Russian River uh, area or Alexander Valley, you know, Stag's Leap, where they're relying on, on high amount of rainfall and groundwater. And they're not so much utilizing, you know, irrigation. Um, so that I like, I'd rather have that control than, you know, have it rain when I don't need it to. And so I think those mountains really contribute to a uniform vintage potential, you know, so that we really just have to deal with set and bloom uh, as the biggest variable in terms of our growing conditions. So they're they're high enough that you're actually seeing a foin effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're seeing oh yeah. A foin effect. There's a shadow, rain shadow. Right. Absolutely. That you have to love. It's science, people. It's science. <laughs> yeah, it is. So I did open. Um, you had to twist my arm real hard. <laughs> I did. I did open yeah. the the 2017 um, Kimberly uh, Vineyard. McIntyre Merlot, and it is a completely different wine. Yeah, it is a completely different wine. It is actually more of a uh, a redder 
brighter. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Brighter, right. brighter. Red fruit. Yes. And um, that cedar is not as um, predominant in right. in this wine as it is in the the 16. That's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, that 17 vintage was just, it was absolutely perfect until it wasn't. <laughs> and 116, I'm sure, you know, it denatured some of those um, uh, nice C6 carbon compounds that would have otherwise gone into, uh, you know, a great tannin or aromatic um, type it's, of thing. It's a lighter bodied. Yeah. It's right. a, it's a lighter bodied. Exactly. Um, so uh, you know, that, that's a great question. So in terms of Merlot, ageability of Merlot. Mm -hmm. So where where do you find your sweet spot for, I mean, this is a 2016 and 2017, they're drinking beautifully, but where do you see them going? And vintage by vintage, you know, we can change that, but like general. Right. Well, we've been producing Merlot off this vineyard since 2005. And when we go back, um, we're actually quite pleased um, with what we're seeing. However, I'd like to temper the alcohols a bit like we talked about. I mean, if you look at the great um, Bordeaux and how well many of them have aged, if you ask a lot of the, the winemakers from France, you know, their opinion, they believe that the wines age better at 14 or 13, nine you know, 13.8, something like that, rather than 14.6 or higher. And I tend to believe that. So that's one of the reasons the pendulum has shifted back from 26, 27 bricks back and watering things down and adding a lot of acid to maybe 24, 25. And I think the wines age better. Um, and that's been our experience. But we have, as I mentioned, we generally don't release the Merlot, the 17 is the current vintage, oh, okay. until we have at least five years so that they're much more drinkable and approachable for, for, for people. So what, what's your um, philosophy of that you're keeping it in barrel for the five years and then bottling no. or you're barreling for how long, aging for how long? Yeah, minimalistically winemaking, we're barreling for 18 months. Okay. And then we're going into the bottle and we're letting it age in the bottle before release. So we like it on Merlot. We like at least a couple of years of age in the bottle. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what do you, how do you see Merlot? You know, we talk about some wines love oak, you know, they yeah. like soak it mm -hmm. all in and others like almost are fighting it, you know, you sure. know, repeating it. Where does Merlot fall into that, into that realm? Because I, I, in neither of them, I don't get, and this is a big positive for me. There's not an oak influence. Like, right. you know, I'm not saying, oh, well, this is, you know, <laughs> this is an Napa cab, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, yes, you're absolutely right, Lori. And I'm the same way. So for, for our winemaking, we would rather let, and this is from Professor Vince Petrucci, let the grape speak for itself. That goes with our Pinots, our Chardonnays. So what we like about oak is the micro-oxygenation that takes place and the dehydration, you know, the, or evaporation rather than dehydration that concentrates things. Um, but, uh, you know, for Merlot as a grape, I think you could go to either extreme. You could go to, a, you know, American oak type 
um, or you can do what we're doing. And I think so we we fall in the extreme of less in that particular case. Mm-hmm. And your oak is French neutral? It, it is. Yeah, it's French oak and uh, generally about 40% of it's new each year. So um, you know, a fair amount of neutral barrels. Again, it's because we want that oxygen to soften the wine. Mm-hmm. And um, multiple cooperages, or do you yeah. have a favorite cooperage? No, it's it's it. Uh, it seems like we're experimenting. Uh, our our um, chief winemaker Byron Kasugi up in Napa. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention him. We tend to do. Uh, he does all the heavy lifting, but we tend to make wine by committee. We have a number of winemakers that we're working with. Our, in fact, in our Pinot Noir now, we have a winemaker series where we let winemakers go into the vineyard and do what they want to do, not what we want to do. And then we all get together and compare those blind and it accelerates the pace of discovery in vineyard, basically. But so there's a, there's just so much collaboration. It's like songwriting, you know, I think it's uh, nowadays, you know, I forget which artist I, I saw that had like 30 people, you know, collaborating on one song. That may be an extreme, but I do think more than one mind is, is, is more of a creative process. And that is so cool. Cause like, if you think about that, you're taking the same vineyard site and Mm -hmm. then you're putting different artistic approach onto it. And, you know, whether somebody, you know, acidifies to this or takes it in or, you know, maybe doesn't cold soak or does cold soak, all of these things are just added data points to allow you to say, well, okay, well, I like this. I don't like that, but this and that come together to come out to be pretty cool. So yeah, that's how you can accelerate, you know, learning about your vineyard and your site. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that is fantastic. I -hmm. love that. Um, Now, so here's, here's the thing we can't talk about Merlot me. And I, it's always the, (laughs) the, you know, the elephant in the room Mm -hmm. type thing, but you know, we, we have to talk about it is that wonderful, wonderful movie sideways. Yeah. (laughs) So how do you feel about the movie sideways and how it impacted Merlot? Well, it's unfortunate. You know, we planted a lot of vineyard, a lot of Merlot back in 94, 95. And and then we've pulled out Merlot ever since. You know, we still, of course, grow Merlot, but it's not the variety that it once was in terms of. um, But I think that's a trend that's going to um, find a happy ending. And I'll, I'll explain because from what I understand in Bordeaux, uh, decades ago, Merlot was the predominant. And it had its issues with set. It had its issues with, you know, all kinds of, and so Cab took over. And then, but you still have Petrus, right? And so when people say, oh, you know, Merlot, I always say, well, have you ever had a Petrus, you know? And a lot of people I wish I could say yes. I wish I could say yes. (laughs) Yeah, well, you should someday. And um, that will make you a Merlot believer. (laughs) Just that experience alone. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, The Mm -hmm. my my big thing with sideways and I did say it when I I told you, um, you know, I'm doing a series of these for Merlot me. But um, I so I said it with Nick uh, Goldschmidt on a previous episode. I think, first of all, the thing that drives me crazy about sideways is the fact that people remember this one line from the movie and completely miss 
why he's saying the line, right? Mm-hmm. He's saying he, I, I'm not drinking any effing Merlot. All right. And that was it. Everybody's like, well, I can't drink, you know, now yeah. I'm going to drink Pinot <coughs> and I have nothing against Pinot. I'm a big Pinot fan, but, yeah. but the thing is, is it's his ex-wife's drink mm-hmm. and that's why he's not drinking it. And then at the end of the movie, what is he drinking? <laughs> right. The, the right. right. So the, it, the thing about the movie that drives me crazy is it kind of says a little bit about our society that I wish was not true about how easily people are like, you know, Led down the road. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it, it's, it's horrible. And then the other thing in my opinion, and then you can, you can tell me how you think about it. The other thing that I say about Merlot and one of the reasons why it, we had this effect so vividly of this effect is that at that point, I don't think many people who were growing Merlot, we were still in the learning phase of Merlot. That's right. And like everything else, you know, when you're learning, you make mistakes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like a storm of this line and a lot of not understanding Merlot that kind of did this. So that's my opinion. What is your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more because back in the 80s when I was growing Merlot up at Han with Cabernet, I mentioned how much we struggled. You know, when you finally uh, are in an area, and we're still relatively new area, winemaking area uh, in Paso and, and the Central Coast, you you finally end up hopefully finding the variety in your the, in your site, that's a no-brainer, okay? So that was Pinot up in the Highlands. But elsewhere, if you do your homework, you can start to find sites that have the promise to do particular varieties. And we found this site, Kimberly Vineyard, we thought, you know, did Merlot. Now we're confident enough that we have planted some Cabernet next to it, a cool climate Cabernet. And we, we did Petit Verdot, we did Malbec. And so we're starting to be have the confidence because of what we have learned, because of our experience, to be able to say, okay, well, maybe we can grow cab here and we can do it consistently. So that's that's the goal. If you've got to learn you've got to learn your environment, right? And yeah, that's, right. that's with anything, not just grape growing, right? right? You, yeah. you have to learn what works and what doesn't work. And I think, I think the, the combination of that, that movie. And I mean, honestly, back then there were a lot of not so great examples of Merlot, yeah. but you, right. as I say, there's also not so great examples of cab. There's also right. not so, you know, it's across the board of that. Um, and I think that people like you who are dedicated to the single varietal Merlots and doing these experimentations that you're doing to advance the understanding of what the soil and what the climate, the terroir is doing to Merlot only makes the Merlot phenomenal. And, you know, and it gets better. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And do you, have you seen an increase in excitement for Merlot or, or is Merlot still kind of a a hard sell? It's a hard sell still. I mean, to be honest, but the good news is there aren't that many people selling Merlot. So when you do go into a restaurant, especially if you're, you know, a value price product like this is, 
you know, you will uh, exceed people's expectations much easier than you would if you're trying to sell Pinot or, or Cabernet right now. So, uh, yeah, I'll give you that. That is true. We we were yeah. doing a pouring event in Solvang and all anybody ever wanted was, was Pinot. Yeah. And like they were come up, do you have Pinot? No, I don't have Pinot. Do you have Pinot? No, I don't have Pinot. But then when they taste Cab Franc, they're, oh, what is this? You know, because yeah. there's not a lot of Cab Franc out, you know. Exactly. Um, absolutely. Um, I I think that there's I I feel, but maybe it's because I'm hyper aware of it. I mm. think that there are more Merlots coming out. I think more people are are starting so. to produce yeah. it. Yeah, we can get a buzz going again. Right, absolutely. And that is really what Merlot Me, Merlot Me Month is all about, is trying to get a buzz about it going. Great. Um, and so I'm going to ask you, if if you have to give three things that people, that you wish people knew about Merlot, mm-hmm. what would that, three things uh, be? It makes one of the most expensive wines in the world, Petrus that it can be grown in a cool climate. Third thing would be, oh, that's a good, I, I don't know. What would the third one be? <laughs> oh gosh, you've stumped me on the oh, third. <laughs> right, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you think about the third one because we still have one more of your incredible wines to talk about. Mm-hmm. And so this is the 2016 per, uh, I'm going to say it wrong, per Ador. Ardua. It's, Ardua. Ardua. Yeah, it's gr- that uh, might be because I need my Gaelic. glasses on. Well, it's Gaelic. It's Gaelic? Oh, Slancha. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it means right. through difficulty in the Gaelic language. And, right. and that is the, the motto of the McIntyre clan. So that's where that came from. And that's our crest. That's your crest? Yeah. That is beautiful. Yeah. That is beautiful. Actually, now I, I'm embarrassed. I didn't know what that was because um, no, uh, well, no, because be. I I talk I do slancha all the time. I Gaelic all the time. So yes. So tell me about this wine. This is yeah, a so Merlot based wine, right? So there's where we headed when we got the Malbec producing and the Petit Bordeaux producing, and we'll eventually add Cabernet to that. So it represents, there's a little spiel on the back label that that talks about how we've struggled, right? And it's a chip on my shoulder to try and make something like this in a cool climate where people said, oh, no, you can't grow cab in Monterey County, you know? So that's that's what it is. It's that that struggle and, um, and how we are adapting to that particular uh, challenge. Mm-hmm. And this is a 2016. Is this Correct. the, how many vintages of this have you made? That was the first vintage. This was the first vintage. Yeah, oh, I'm right. honored. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, is your idea behind the wine to um, always be Merlot dominant or is it going yeah. to be a, you know, the, as I call it for our, for our wine, the, the play wine, let me yeah. see what I can do. How does this right. go? I think it will evolve and I I have no preconceived notion of what variety might become the predominant. And that's what's fun about it. You know, as you know, uh, finding that whatever that blend might be, and it might be different in a given vintage, like you saw the 17 versus 16 Merlot, you know, so I think that by having it be a red table wine, Meritage, if you would, allows us that freedom 
to explore in a given vintage to come up by consensus, you know, and, and committee with something that is the best expression of place from that particular year. So, so this is going, your, your thought process of this wine is a vintage expression. What Correct. is the best of 2016 or what yeah. is the best of 2017 for that site? For that mm, site. Right. That's yeah. awesome. And is this all, so this is also a Roya Seco. So yes. is this all multiple vineyard? No, this is a single vineyard. Yeah. It's that one. Kimber- oh, it is still Kimberly. I yeah. should start wearing yeah. my glasses more. <laughs> um, <laughs> that yeah. is also Kimberly. Vineyard. So, yeah. so you have Merlots. Do you also make, do you make uh, individual varietals of the other ones? No, we don't. Okay. Yeah. We didn't want to get that um, far down the road and be confusing and take away from the Merlot. So we'll always produce the Merlot. And then the Perartua will be that blend of the different. I mean, I suppose if, if one of the varieties just stands out, but my experience has been that the blends are most of the time better. Yeah. It, it just adds <clears throat> adds a little. I had this conversation with Nick um, on the last one of, you know, people who say you can't be complex in a single vineyard. And that is not true. That is, you know, Mm -hmm. that is not true at all. You can be complex in a single vineyard. Um, you know, how you're processing the fruit, when you're picking the fruit, doing one run, two run. There's loads of things you can do to make a complex wine out of a single vineyard. But there is something to be said about adding other varietals into yeah. the blend right. because they each have their own characteristics and, you mm-hmm. know, but the key mm-hmm. is making sure that they marry well together. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. You don't, you don't want them fighting with each other in that bottle. You right. Know? <laughs> Absolutely. So do you have any final thoughts on Merlot that you want to um, share about your, about your Merlot specifically? Um, I just hope that people will, you know, try Merlot and and uh, be a little bit, have a little bit more of a discovery um, about wine and, and take some risk with their winemaking or wine drinking and winemaking um, and enjoy some of the, uh, uh, the unusual, if you would. And we got to get out of our ruts, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> if you look, if you look at the wine list, you know, sometimes just do this and pick yeah. something and find something new. You never know what you're going to love. And I think Merlot has so much to offer for people. Yeah. It is such a, it is such a nice wine. It's a wine that I think you can pair throughout the whole meal. You can have yeah. a Merlot early on in the courses of the meal. You can have it with the main course. Right. You know, you, there, It's so variable that I think it has a lot to offer and more people need to give it a shot again. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> and mm-hmm. now where can people find McIntyre social media? What's your website? Can they come sure. taste with you? What? Yeah, McIntyre Vineyards. We have a tasting studio in Carmel at the Carmel Crossroads Shopping Center. So you can stop in there. Um, like everybody, we have a wine club uh, online. Uh, our website is McIntyreVineyards.com. And uh, we're building a hospitality center in the San Lucia Highlands. We've finished the first phase, which is a park and uh, you know, structure and done all of the, the grading and it's a beautiful landscaped area now. Um, but we're next phase will be a tasting room there at the vineyard, our home vineyard. 
and eventually a winery. But uh, we're uh, we're taking it slow. You can make wine anywhere, but you need a place to entertain folks and give them that experience. Right. Absolutely. And then yeah. if they wanted to come taste with you, they can uh, just sure. do that through your website. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Backtarvineyards.com. Okay. Yeah. And um, anything else? Uh, social media. You're on Instagram. Oh yeah. All everywhere. Exactly. You Facebook. Are everywhere. All so, the good stuff. All the good stuff. I will link all of that up. I'll link the website up and um, the social Great. media up in the show notes. And, you know, Steve, thank you so much for coming on and thank you, sharing Lauren. your wines. And I'm not going to lie. I'm glad I opened up that second bottle because it <laughs> really was a cool experimentation of yeah. showing, you know, it's the same, it's the same vineyard and yep. the same winemaker, the same fruit yep. is just a different vintage. And to see how, how it varies from one vintage to the next was really exceptional. Yeah. So I actually did save a little bit, even though I got more, um, <laughs> I'll raise my little glass to you and I will say slancha and thank, thank you, you very much. And here's to Merlot me month. Great. Thank you very much, Lori, for the opportunity. Thank you. Bet. See ya. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Bud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kievitz. Until next week, slancha. Never let you go, oh, oh, no, 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 never.